Hey, it's Rebecca. As promised, coming up a little later in this episode, we'll introduce you to the first ever No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. By the way, we need a new name for that. So if you have any ideas, let us know. Now here's this week's episode by special request from Twitter user Jesse Mudd, The Views Sarah Haynes and Jedediah Bila. I had no money. I was kind of floating and I was like, shouldn't I have done this at like 23? I don't know if you well, felt yeah, that way. Well, they tell you, you know, in your 20s, you, like I gave myself a shot and that kind of dark cloud started to settle in. I gave myself a shot, but did I ever really try? And now I'm 30 and eventually that plan B has to come in. But now I'm at the point where it's go time. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. This is the first time we've had two guests on No Limits. I'm so excited to have both of you. Fantastic, outstanding women. And by the way, you are here by special request. I don't know if you saw this or not on Twitter. We literally got a tweet that said, I want Jedediah and I want Sarah together on No Limits. And I said, okay, let's make it happen. Oh Look at gosh. that. And Thank you, Pressure is in on. Illinois. We appreciate your time. Pressure is on. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Cool. Uh, cool. Okay, so both of you grew up very different, probably, scenarios. You in Staten Island, Jedediah. Yes. You in the Midwest, Sarah. In Iowa. Only in Iowa. slightly different, Rebecca. Don't take liberties. <laughs> 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 Only slightly different, and I grew up in the Midwest, too, so you're sort of outnumbered here. Oh, Sorry. But I, I have Midwest envy. You so, do? What oh, is envy about Texas recently? I always want to be, like, I wake up in the morning and I dream, I daydream my entire, I just moved to Brooklyn, so my entire ride in my Via to the studio. <laughs> do uh, you pick up other guests on the way? Sometimes, sometimes. She, she via pools. I via pools. I'm not kidding, pool, I do, right? because There's it's only... expensive to come from there, and I don't like to be underground, so I don't like the subway, so I'm anything I can do to not take the subway, but that whole drive, I dream about, you know, crickets at night and green grass and like simple life I want I want to be in a small town where you know the grocery store it's like the fish market is over here and the meat store is over here and everyone knows everyone and I am a city girl like I grew up I grew up in Staten Island but I was in Manhattan all the time I went to Columbia University in the city and all I crave is small town simple life all the time. I mean, Rebecca, look at what it does. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I got to sit next to this one. Let's be honest. We we are the dream. Um, but you, so you've literally never lived outside of the city. I lived in Florida when I was a little girl in Fort Myers Beach. Uh, it was really small though. I was five years old. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, as an adult, I just feel like when you go to those places, their priorities seem to be more in order. Family life is, is easier and it's just a simple, calm, I don't know. I love it. I don't want to leave. I have friends that live in Houston, and they go every to time I go, yeah, <laughs> that but, is that is one of the greatest dream. pleasures. But they oh see, we gosh. go to Target here, but you have it's like messy. you it's have an anxiety thing. attack. The you, you have to way think there. about how much you can carry on the train. Yes, with you I don't want to do that. You don't have to get there. Yeah. yeah. Small town goodness, man. Bring that to me. If we could move, if they said you're, we're going to move the show and we're going to go to like, I don't know, I'm going to pick someplace really, I don't know, somewhere in Iowa, I would be so on, I would be like, my, my, my stuff would be packed like already. Sarah, how would you feel about that? 
if she can, I think it'd be so cute to watch everyone deal with Jed. <laughs> <laughs> One, they'd love her politics, but two, they'd sit there and the, I mean, just her, her nature to me is very like New York self-assured. So imagining her running around with all the me's over in Midwest would be so cute <laughs> to watch. All of this for you, Jed, I was literally in your backyard. You know, mm-hmm. you saw all of this, Sarah, you were maybe watching it on TV as a kid. Yeah. Everything was on TV. <laughs> so did you? So is that were you were you into the idea of doing the job that you're doing right now as a kid? Did you think no, about it? No, no, no. I well, first of all, I still walk through Times Square and I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks like just like the scene from like everything's a movie to me still. Like oh, it, that's how we saw the world. I didn't come to New York for the first time till I was 19. And what did you think? Oh, this is scarier than I thought. Like it was. It, did you have any scary experiences, or was it just an? Overwhelming my mom told thing? me not to wear jewelry on the subway. I guess the last time she was here was like 1980. She told me, and she like told me to hide everything. It made me. I felt like I was traveling in a foreign country that people were going to just attack me for fun the whole the whole day. So um, I had. A, my mom was not the person to go to on how to prep for your first New York City visit. <laughs> um, but I never. I'm actually not a city person either. Like I. For the first five years I lived here, I used to complain about everything because it's not what I grew up with. And I I loved where I, I came from. It didn't have many opportunities for for people in general unless you want – I'm sure there are more there and someone could argue with me on that. But if there were certain careers you wanted to do, you would have to leave. Um, and so – the city, my brother said, when you stop comparing it to Iowa, you might enjoy it for what it is. And it was such a simple thought, but something clicked that day. And I started to just love it for what it had to offer. So I very much enjoy it. Um, I never saw myself doing this career. Growing up, I always thought I'd be a marine biologist. And then I realized science, I loved math, but science was not my thing. So the amount of science required to do what I wanted to do was um the game changer. <laughs> so I fell off that real quickly. Um, but Did you study a lot of math, though? Well, math I was always great at. Yeah, because I, I by that I mean when I say to people, oh, it was the science, they're like, oh, it's a school thing. I did very well in school. It was just the science thing that was really killing me. Um, but I, I wanted to do marine biology, and then I went to major in government because then I was going to teach. So everything about what I wanted to do was different than where I ended up. And the way I ended up in this business, which I always feel I'm a bit of a poser to say I work in news divisions, is I didn't have journalistic dreams. I didn't even consume journalism with the same appreciation that I did retroactively after getting into the business. I My kind of funny backdoor entrance into this was performing. I was more into comedy and, um, you know, uh, sketches and things like where you always were someone else. And that's why I came to New York to do. And then the morning uh, TV landscape changed and Kathy Lee and Hoda popped, Kathy Lee and Hoda popped up. And that gave me more an, an opportunity to be a performer. So when people say you're a journalist, you're a news person, I'm like, please give my colleagues the respect of not putting my name in the same sentence because I'm more of a storyteller than a, a journalist. The closest I come to journalists is I love telling stories, but I don't have any of the background, the training, the expertise of so many people. So opinion-based TV actually is more natural to me. And I want to get to the story about how you ultimately made it on the Today Show because when you told me this, I absolutely loved it and respected it so much. Jed, were you? Do you mind if I call you Jed? By call the way, because I heard Sarah call you that. Oh, of I course, call Jed. it's easier. Yeah. Okay, D- no have worries. I already mangled your name? No, I'm I mean, sure you've heard name, some terrible. My name is in your a time. whole. Would 
would you'd need an hour just for that because <laughs> my name is actually my full name is Jedediah. There's a prefix in front of my name, an A, just a floating A, just a floating A, because my mom wanted me to have my dad's monogram. So people call me Jed, people call me AJ. AJ. I get a whole bunch AJ. of stuff. AJ. Yeah, as long as you don't call me like Harry, I might not respond <laughs> to Some that. people call you J Love 45, but we're that's her rapper name, but we won't oh. explain that. Yeah. I yeah. love this. Yeah. Okay, are you so going to freestyle for us later in the No, interview? I'm not a rap. Sarah it's, does sometimes, but I It's I, actually I'm a joke dancer. name that if you want to have the extended, you know, podcast after after dark you yeah. can hear why what that means that's yeah. perfect yeah. we're gonna get to that um aj slash yeah. jed yeah were you into the idea of being a journalist as a kid no i actually when i was a kid i wanted to be an actress my mom was a director she used to teach improv classes that's out of our living room yeah she was um she was very involved in theater and i thought oh, i could be good at this i could do this and i always loved the idea of escaping into someone else's life that always fascinated me so i wanted to be an actress and when i hit i think it was around i went to school um i sort of fell out of it i was a very shy kid so i realized well how am i going to do this thing and have to interact with people this might be at my first my first roadblock so <laughs> we as uh, long as the curtain never opens exactly. i'd be amazing, I'd be amazing in this amazing. show <laughs> i was i was amazing but like everyone would say she's so shy she's never going to network she's it was it was like a real challenge i was i was that kid in class that never said a word so i left it i kind of abandoned it for a while went to college to um i thought i might want to be a teacher when i was in college, a college professor, because when I was on college campuses, I felt at peace. I felt at home. I felt academia. This is such a great world. Libraries, old books. Um, so I, I studied Spanish literature, actually, because I thought it would be really cool to that. do. Yeah, to You're do everything. So cool. I was like, I can do I want to be able to do everything. You know, I do in English in another language. So let me study Spanish literature. And I got, you know, all these PhD uh, fellowships. And I wound up going to Columbia University and got there and said, uh, this isn't for me. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't clicking. I finished my master's, but left and did a whole bunch of stuff um, and never thought about journalism. Actually wasn't terribly political growing up, wasn't engaged in, now I'm, I'm known as the politics girl, but I sort of found my way into journalism um, not journalism specifically, but being, a, as I call it, a girl from New York with an opinion who somehow makes money well, from that. How many girls in New York have opinions? That's how I call myself. A girl <laughs> Imagine from New York that whole New Yorker in Iowa thing. It's true. <laughs> it's like I don't, I don't even understand how, how I'm doing this sometimes. But I, I reviewed. I was teaching at a private school on the Upper East Side at the time. High was school. that your first job? My first job was at an insurance company. I worked for Zurich, and I was a marketing associate, and I hated and didn't understand any – I didn't know anything about insurance. Nothing. And I didn't want to. I was like, I don't want to know anything about insurance. This doesn't – I don't – I'm not good with numbers. This is not my calling. Left there, took a whole bunch of waitressing jobs, thought maybe I want to be an actor. Went out to L.A., was like, this is the wrong time. Came back, worked in a bunch of schools, was like, maybe I want to be – let me go back to teaching but not college. Let me try middle school, high school. It was a great time. While I was teaching at this school, I wound up doing some writing because I was like, you know what? Writing was always my thing. Maybe that's where I'm going to find my passion. And I happened to get up that day and write about a political issue. I could have written about cats. Happened to write about a political issue, and I swear, I swear, I could have. And that might have be, been more lucrative. And now you're I'd more be, of a dog person. Now I'd so be that's, on, that's right. misleading. Now as well. I'd be on Animal Planet <laughs> <Yeah>. instead. <laughs> I'm at the View. But I, a, a, a big talk radio guy, Mark Levin, wound up finding this review I had written about his book and read it to you know millions of people. And then a, a few weeks later, Sean Hannity was like, "Hey, you, you want to come on my television show?" And you want? And I was, I wound up finding myself on Fox News and. All of a sudden, I was this political analyst that I was analyzing. And I was really, I kept saying, look, I'm just representing 
the voice of the people. I'm not an expert. I'm not a national security expert. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't go to journalism school. But I think it resonated because at the time you had a lot of politicians talking to people from a place that people felt disconnected. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to hear someone who was speaking with them, to them, for them, and like them. And that was me. I was just a regular girl who happened to be reading up on the news and engaged in it. So that's really what launched my career. And I find myself today kind of trying to figure out how it all happened because some days I'm like, do I deserve this? Because there are people who, who who work really, really hard in journalism school and have this passion from when they're little. I didn't have that. What I did have a passion for, though, was making people smile, laugh, and bringing awareness about things. I always love to have conversations with people about important issues. And now I'm in a position where I feel like if I can have someone, you know, in, in, a, in a, a city somewhere who feels that, that their point of view is not being heard, if I can bring that to the table or if I can bring some issue that's underrepresented to the table or I feel like it's a good day's work. So I kind of found my way here, but never. If you would have said you're going to be on, you know, a talk show with a heavy political bent, like you're going to be the politics girl, I would have been like, okay, dream on. You know, there's no way that's ever going to be my life. Is so. your family political at all? My dad is very political. My family's very diverse politically. So my dad's very conservative. My mom is kind of center right. My grandparents were all Democrats. So politics was around. But I was the kid at the table that was like, Daddy, no politics. I don't want to hear about politics. And now I get up every day and I come here and I'm talking politics. And my dad's at home and he's like, no politics. You know, he throws it back. <laughs> but it's it's interesting. I think when you I think when you come at it, I didn't love I really didn't love doing it in news because I felt like it got a little bit in the weeds and it got disconnected from the way that people at home at their dinner tables are really talking about issues. So I wanted to do it in a conversational setting. I said, if I'm going to do this job, I want to feel like I'm talking to people, talking through issues, and people at home are able to find themselves somewhere in that conversation. And be it whether it's Sarah's opinion that day or mine or Whoopi's or whoever it is, I wanted everyone at home to feel somewhere they were represented. And I think that's kind of what I found. But um, it's it's definitely an experience. And I still consider myself a girl from Staten Island with an opinion. That's really all I am. I'm not an expert. I'm just a voice. Sarah, how about you? Were you political growing up? Oh, I'm still not political. <laughs> Um, no, it's funny because I loved the theory of government. I loved my major. My mom told me to pick my major. I, I, I'm the third of four kids. That's important to note because my mom's advice got better as she went. Uh, <laughs> they don't know which one I am, but she did get wiser. So she said, pick a major based on what you want to spend time studying because you're not training really for a job. We're not turning you Great out advice. to us. Yeah, especially. So think about what classes you want to be in. I was like, well, then that's easy. I want to do government. I loved political theory. I loved um, comparative government. I loved looking at everything from history. I loved studying presidents and the psychology. One of my favorite classes was called the American presidency. And for a while, I was like, I could be a specialist in presidencies, but nothing, nothing um, uh, present day. I never wanted to get involved in the politics of the day. I wanted to look back at the cycles, the trends, where we ended up, why we ended up here. I loved that. So funny enough, when you think of politics, politics all seems present day, you know, when you think about it. So what I was loving was history. So when I studied all that and got to where I am, first of all, in news in general, when I started... So let's talk about getting to the Today Show. Yes. And you were a producer there, basically? Um, I was the coordinator. So I did all so, the business and logistics of the show. All the... So you're not I even necessarily... That's operations. I wasn't even creative. <laughs> and you <laughs> continuously went to the top boss... 
and said, put me on the show? Well, it, no, because first of all, up until the time, I mean, in towards the very end, when I was already appearing every day, my mom said to me, I was looking at jobs outside of there because I thought, now I have some a reel that's not hard to make. It's not fake. It's it's real. It's my experiences on the Today Show. But I'm going to leave. And my mom was like, you're going to leave the show? What if they put you on the air? I was like, mom, do you know who's on the air presently? They don't just put people on the air. So I never had even the audacity to think, I'm going to get on this show. Never, ever. That I wanted to do what I was doing, which meant if I got appearances, that was my reel. And I anyone that's ever made a reel knows it's so, especially a news one, they were trying to tell me to talk about a local fire. And I was like, <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and I know I, I couldn't comprehend what I was trying to say I wanted to do, which was mo- more personality hosting. So they kept trying to stick me in a news box because whenever people talked about me being on air, they kept saying, well, you should do news. And I was like, well, I really don't like news. I don't like to watch it. I don't like it. And they're like, you do know where you work, right? I was like, absolutely. The catering kicks ass. My spreadsheets are amazing. <laughs> but I really don't care about this, you know. But um, Kathy Lee and Hoda came along and everything I was doing was spoofy and comedic. So I was doing these sideshow digital things with interviews, um, we made up a confession booth where we hung literally duvetine from the props department and it fell on Jamie Foxx once. I don't but even we, know what duvetine, duvetine is. Duvetine's like a, a curtain. Like, what is she talking about? <laughs> it was a curtain. And we had made our own booth. We're at the Today Show and we made our own booth because digital wasn't a place they were caring about. So we'd make a confession booth where Luke Perry came in. That's, that's, that's my man. That's Woo! her man. Shake it. We were talking Woo-hoo! about like Sorry. the oddest jobs you've ever had. Who's you, by the way, he worked in a doorknob factory. I remember his answer. What? See, a I like a blue collar man. Yeah. I like a blue collar man. Dylan McKay worked in a doorknob factory. So construction too. I think I like a construction. Now worker. you're just fantasizing. Now well, you're making. It I mean, it's, it is happening. But keep talking. I'm going to so keep fantasizing. <laughs> all we made up all these funny things, and if we couldn't get a celebrity to come, we'd use just the talent from the show. So one day, Kathy Lee had come down, and she said something nice in passing. She was like, "You're so fun, Hoda, and I want you to come on the show." Whenever someone says something like that, I always say, take it for the lowest level of what that means. It's a compliment. So never expected anything to happen. Then Hoda comes down the next day and we're doing it. And she's like, Kathy Lee and I were talking about you. Lowest common denominator. Oh, my God, that story wasn't a joke. Like, they think wow. this is a compliment. Done. Then they kept saying, this is a girl hour. Come on our part. Because the fourth hour was just launching. Producers and people that were being assigned to it were kind of feeling like they were getting the low end of the deal. It's a it's a launch. It's a startup. You know, it was like no one wanted to be there. So they wanted people to come. And that's when I started doing little appearances. And they immediately, this is my favorite part, right away, I said, what could I bring to you guys? Because I was trying to say, I do what you do. I don't, I'm not a fitness expert or a chef. And they were like, oh, teach us how to be young. And I'm thinking... <laughs> Am I young? <laughs> Only in comparison, because I wasn't that young. But they said, you know, teach us how to do something. How old were you at the time? Over 30. I I think I was 30 or 31. Like, that's not – the people around me were 22 and, like, launching into the business. I was not young. So uh, I they said, teach us what you teach your mom, like downloading photos. So I did a couple live segments where I taught them how to turn your photos into mugs. And, you know, like, I researched it and just came on. Well, they had to label me something – so they started calling me the tech correspondent. <laughs> My brother calls me dying. He's an IT guy. <laughs> He's super smart. He goes, oh my God, Sarah, I, I don't want this to come off wrong, but do they know about the alarm clock you hid in your couch because you couldn't figure out how to turn it off? I had a little promotional alarm clock that went off every night at 3.16 a.m. I never figured out how to turn it off, so I buried it in my couch. 
And he goes, and now the Today Show is calling you a tech correspondent. He's like, this is such a joke. <laughs> so they they that didn't last long. I was like, you guys are really minimizing your brand by putting your name on me like that. But then it turned into they wanted me. I was going to leave the show because I had a great reel. And I was like, this is fun. I, I'm going to go find something where I could. I, I was interviewing for uh webcasts like bartending like any kind of independent film all these things were coming up that were non-paying i just wanted to have some legitimacy so i took clips and put them together and i was like now i have what i came for see ya and i um my a guy at the time i was seeing said you're gonna leave without asking them if you they they put you on the show a lot are you and i was like that is so bold like i'm not that girl i would never ask if they were going to he goes okay if you can sleep at night and walk away from that then that's cool he was like i just wouldn't be able to so i like i got up off the phone like hung up the phone and if i think i'll talk myself out of it and i march right to the ep who by this point i've been working for the show for 7 years he knows me i babysat his kids and i walk in and it was the schmarmiest little weird it's everything not to do when asking a boss for something. I come in there. I was like, hey, this is like such a dumb conversation. But <laughs> so I was wondering, and this is, again, so stupid. Like I, I kept I put myself down over and over again. And I said, would you guys ever, you know, I don't know, like give me a job here. And he's like, you work here, Sarah. I was like, no, but I mean, like on TV, I put you on the show every day. No, but I mean, like on the show, but Official. not doing this job over here that I've done. Oh, you just want to work? I was like, yeah, it's like recession talent. Like, I don't really make much. And he's like, how much do you make? I tell him. And he's like, you're right. Like, I, and then I left not knowing what he said. Right away, I called the guy back and I said, he's like, what do you say? I was like, actually, I don't know. I don't know if it was yes or no. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking, that was dumb. I went in and didn't even get an answer. Well, then a lawyer calls me at, from the building and I handled tickets and, security list so people called me from all over the building i was like you know what do you need and i thought it was a concert request and he's like i'm i'm writing up some stuff for your contract and i was like what contract and he said well jim had said we're we're there's a contract and i go can you hold for a second and like i ran into my boss and i was like they're giving me a contract (laughs) i started like flipping out and i was like do you know anything about it he goes i'll go and ask and like we're he's going into jim bell and he's like so you know do you did you want to tell me something because if sarah is going somewhere we need to hire someone he comes back he's like i don't know what he said i don't know if you're moving or not moving it was days of a mystery and then the best moment was when the publicist called because she was a page with me so she was one of the first people i met in the building and she said, we're going to do a press release on you because you grew up here and everyone loves you and we want to we want to announce you. And I I started like crying instantly. I was like, Megan, are you serious? And like my voice is quivering. And this then, was your moment. This was my moment. And then I went to Jim to hug him because I still didn't know he was doing this. It had been days since our meeting. And he goes, now you're crying? He's like, we had a meeting three days ago. I was like, I didn't know what was happening. And so it was it was surreal. And they said, we're going to give you a tester contract. You have a year. It, you know, I had a contract like that when I started, too. Yeah. It's like a sink or swim one-year deal. And then it you had that, too? I had a Fox News, yeah, yeah, when I first got my job. Because I did two years of free television before I got paid. And I had to, I was doing... How did you balance that in your head? Because you have to make money to survive. Well, at first I was teaching. So I still had that money coming in. And Fox News kept calling. um, And then all of a sudden it turned like Fox News and CNBC and MSNBC. And everyone, you know, because they can get free tell. I mean, you're on there and you're not getting paid. Once you're you're, in the mix. That's it. Forget it. And tons of radio. And so I had a paycheck coming in. And then at some point I realized they were calling during the day and last minute. And I couldn't juggle it. 
So I had a little bit of savings left, and I said, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this for a few months and see how it goes. Well, a few months turned into about like a year and a half to two years of free television, and I did some speaking stuff. I did like whatever I could get my hands on to bring in money, anything part time jobs. Um, I remember what my was friends- the weirdest part time job you did. Well, I'm not factory. I, I don't. This is hysterical. <laughs> this because is pre-Uber. Yeah. I don't drink because I just don't like the taste. Unless I'm having like a pina colada on the beach or a daiquiri. Sarah knows this because she tries to get me to drink with her all the time. She's, she's like tries to corrupt me. It's terrible, actually. But I don't drink. But I used to like cocktail waitress, or I would like go behind the bar and do like these cute little like you know where like they were co- where, coyote ugly. Not quite that way. Although now you're fantasizing. <laughs> But I, <laughs> but I tried everything like crazy. Oh my gosh! When I was twenty five, this is before. There's really no excuse for this. But I, I when I was twenty five, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. This is before news. I remember working for Fresh Direct, uh, doing promotional stuff, and I had to stand next to a guy dressed to dress in a up like a coupon. Suit. No, there was a guy next to me dressed as a banana though, and we were trying to sell subscriptions oh, to I Fresh wish we Direct. Had a of this. <laughs> and I did that for a minute. I did crazy like promo stuff. I went to like the Warp Tour and like handed out Snapple. I mean, I did everything, <laughs> but that was in like that wasn't in my news phase. When the news phase came, it was a hard to, it was hard to juggle at first. But my first Fox News contract, I finally was like, oh, they're gonna pay me. It was terrible money. It was like a tester contract. You, it was one year. You didn't know if you were. going to Did you be have a lawyer or an agent at the time to I help had you no negotiate? Agent. Okay, I had no lawyer. Actually, Rush Limbaugh's brother, David Limbaugh, was someone that I knew through. Like you know, I was I was a conservative, so this conservative circle existed. And Mark Levin, the guy who had found me, was super nice to me, connected me with him, and he like read my contract just to make sure they weren't saying like, "Hey, you have to like be a janitor at night." Also, <laughs> or I didn't know it was like, and it was a running joke in my house. My mom used to say they were using me so much on air and it was great it was great like it honed my skills looking back I'm like I was on air all the time but when I looked at what I made my mom was like are they gonna want you to sweep the the hallways as well like what else could you be doing I was doing wearing so many hats in the beginning for very little money people don't realize you get hired just to get paid in this industry is like a huge accomplishment and then you have to figure out a way to get paid well so uh, I had a juggle in the beginning. I was broke. I went into debt. I had to dig myself out of, I think it was like $40,000 worth of debt wow. because I didn't have enough money to support the career at first. And I tell people, that's why when I talk about these issues, I didn't grow up with money. My parents were very middle class. So whenever we talk about issues now, they look at me on The View and people say, oh, well, she's a spoiled rich girl. And I'm like, I'm not rich. I, this is the first job I've had where I'm really you know, making decent money. And I'm still it's still because you, you had a lot of years that you put in. I was a teacher. Everyone knows that that salary should be higher, but isn't. Um, it was a, I definitely have had a lot of struggle, but it was my first contract was not. It was great exposure, like I said. And looking back, I'm like, I did so many different types of shows, and it was news. So I was forced to be spontaneous and think on my feet. And I was dealing with really smart people all the time. And then there was a show called Red Eye at 3 a.m. I used to do with Greg Gutfeld, where you would talk about your personal life and sex and all this crazy stuff. So I got used to being very... Was that scary in the beginning for you? When I first did Red Eye, it's funny. The first time they called me in, I I felt very rehearsed. I felt like I was guarded and I went in and I, I, it wasn't a great show for me. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this show is right for me. And Greg pulled me aside and was like, 
be yourself. You're not you're being what you think people want you to be or you're carrying your news personality from other shows onto this show. This is a place where you can actually be you. And I let loose and it wound up being my favorite show. And I learned how to do I always say like that little 3 a.m. show taught me how to do television because television really you're not any good at it if you're not listening and just reacting in the moment. So I realized I don't want to be a journalist. I want to be this personality. So my personality needs to be the star of the show, not, you know, it, it needs to be me. People need to feel if I want to be, you know, the voice of someone who has this opinion out in wherever, they need to feel like they can get to know me. So, uh, yeah, but I money was tough. And I, I didn't know in the beginning, I kept telling my parents, I don't know if I can do this because I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And you're in New York. Everything's so expensive. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So real challenge. And I think it's interesting listening to Sarah's story that she said, you know, she was like 30 and they were saying, you know, tell us how it how it feel. And I was late, too. Like we both really started this phase of a career late. I was in my early 30s. She was 30. It's not like we were 21 and just hop out of college. Yeah. And it's it's a very different head because you almost feel like from my perspective, I was like, I should be in a stable position. I should yeah, have I money. Sh- I should have stability. And I was just sort of testing the waters in this crazy business that I didn't know. It was like. I mean, I, I I had no money. I was kind of floating. And I was like, shouldn't I have done this at like 23? I don't know if you well, felt yeah. that Well, yeah. Well, they tell you, so, you know, in your 20s, you, like I gave myself a shot. I said, I'm going to come to New York and try whatever that means. But all of a sudden, in a minute, it's it's changing. Mm-hmm. And you've let yourself stay in one position while I was, I was doing behind the scenes work to pay my paycheck so I could take acting and stuff at night. And so I was doing all that and nothing was moving forward and that was partially because of me and that kind of dark cloud started to settle in. I gave myself a shot but did I ever really try and now I'm 30 and eventually that plan B has to come in. I have lots of other plans but now I'm at the point where it's go time. Like I need to maybe leave the city because I was never going to stay if I weren't in this business. Mm -hmm. New York's not my thing. So I was like it's time Sarah. Like now you're 30 this is it. your window. You had your shot and you didn't do it. You didn't not didn't get it done. At times, I don't think I even tried. Like, I think I kept working so hard. I hid myself in a job that d- d- took 12, 14 hours a day. And then you have every excuse in the book. Yeah. Weeks go by and you're paying your bills and you're trying to get a class in or an audition. But all of a sudden you're not getting it done, you know, because you're hiding in work you know how to do. And that part was probably what was the motor behind me finally taking some risk when I thought, OK, Sarah, it, this is it. You you didn't really try, but you spent your 20s here doing what you're doing. So. And it's so expensive in New York. I remember my first apartment, um, not my grad school apartment, because that looking back was like a palace because, you know, they give you it's subsidized. Right. Of yeah. course. <laughs> my first apartment as an adult in New York was like 300 square feet. And I remember my mom like cried when she walked in. She was like, where are you going to sleep? But I was like, well, this is the living room and the bedroom and the kitchen. And it was all one room. Like it was just, it was so distressing. But people- you're kind of proud of it. In the first. I, I mean, was. I felt that way when my apartment was the same thing when yeah. I first got here and I looked at it and when I moved from Chicago and all the stuff was brought into the apartment and the moving people looked around the apartment and they were kind of like, where do you want where we, this? Where do we put it? Because it was all stacked on top of each other, like right. the couch on top of the bed. But you're proud of it. Because it's yours, and you're doing this thing that you've always dreamt of. Yeah, I was proud of it. Um, I, I did realize later on, I got that apartment, and it was advertised as a one-bedroom. And then later <laughs> I was told, this was a studio they put a wall in to make you feel better. And the bedroom, the bedroom, I have, like, I'm making quotation marks right now. The bed, 
my full-size bed touched all four walls. You just walked in and fell on top of the bed. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is New York You plumbing. entered from the roof. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Drop down. Exactly. But it, well, you're right, though. It was mine, and I was paying for it, and it was... Um, That's a rush. New York is a struggle, though. I think a yes. lot of cities are... It's a grind. You know, it's a grind. It's a grind, which people don't realize. But, um, yeah, well, you know me. I always have small town envy, so I'm still dreaming about my... You know, I just want to. I just want a porch swing. Is it a lot oh, to ask for a porch swing? Or a hammock, a hammock, or like a, I don't know, like a little bench with a rocking chair. I mean, I, is, is this just my fantasy of small town life? I or? think you can build it. I think it's possible. If I want to get on it, my bike. Come, <laughs> exactly. Want, Send the Iowa in a small yeah, town. Yeah. <laughs> in a small town, like a bicycle with a little basket. I can go to the store and get. Oh, my you groceries. can get a bike basket right now. Just yeah, but hook it no, onto your want city, a city bike. bike. Good luck driving it. <laughs> <laughs> I want a little bell. Do either of you, by the way, total diversion, yeah. do either of you do city bike in the city? I'm uh, so afraid of that. Yeah, I, my is, husband does it. I, I don't. I can't imagine. About this. Yeah, I just don't trust anyone else. I, riding bikes in the city, I think you're taking a risk because I don't trust anyone else. I'm fine This is on actually a, bike. a PSA for bikers in the city. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I encourage it for environmental reasons, and my best friend is a helmet-carrying city biker. But I, ha- this is where I turn into Sunny. Sunny's got risk, <laughs> risk aversion, averse. and she constantly is like, <laughs> no oh, bueno, no bueno, this is dangerous. <laughs> That's how I feel about bikers, because people whip cab doors open and car doors, and people are, like, sprawling across cement. And I'm like, this city is so dangerous when it comes to bikes. No, that's not my idea of like a peaceful. When I said a bike, I meant like a nice little dirt, like a road with the grass. When there's no one else around. Yeah, no one else around. My boyfriend does fancy the city bike, though. And I just made him. It's a cool system. He loves it. He feels like, oh, I just hop on the bike and I go. And I we had a big fight the other day because I was like, you're not getting on the bike without a helmet because we live in Brooklyn and he'll bike from Brooklyn all the way to Midtown. And I'm like, you need to be responsible because I've seen people get hit. You know, the bikes come way too close to the cars it's congested in the city it's yeah. really congested so yeah i say you know just be safe about it but my bike ride in my in my fantasy when i when i'm in the like i'm in the city and i'm daydreaming it's like a little you know a little basket maybe a little puppy in the basket oh my like, gosh oh, i'm going to the store there's a puppy then now I'm... you're putting the puppy's life at risk <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about the view and both yeah. how you both ended up so you moved from fox to the view from fox news to the view yep and how did that how did that transition work oh that was actually really interesting uh fox news was very opposed to people doing outside work hated it so you had to go get permission to do anything and they always said no so I had the view had come to me a couple of times and I said to my agent at the time which was a small agency um, I said I want to do this show we have to get we have to get you know permission for this and I wound up switching agencies at that time I don't remember how I actually authorized this it must have been it might have been UTA it might have been UTA at that time Anyway, I go to Roger Ailes directly because everything you wanted done in whenever you wanted a raise, whenever you wanted anything, I had to go straight to Roger. I had a good relationship with him. I would walk in. I'd be like, we kind of understood each other. You didn't have any of the experiences that people had I talked didn't, about. I didn't get harassed by him or Shine. Or, I never had a sexual harassment issue with Roger. When I first went in to meet him, my first time, I said this to Joy the other day, and she actually said, that's a great story. You should have said this on the show. And I, and I always forget. I remember he said something. It wasn't harassment or sexual in any way, but it was something about like there was a power dynamic he was trying to establish. And I answered him real fast and said, hey, listen, I'm a Brooklyn girl. You don't want to mess with me. And he answered me and he said, oh, OK, I get it. Brooklyn girl. I don't ma-. like it. It somehow set up 
some kind of dynamic in that relationship where he always viewed me as a tough girl. So we spoke to each other like that. And I don't know if that made a difference or in terms of how he treated me, but I only had maybe a few sit downs with him. But every time I went to him, I felt heard, understood. It was all business. And I left. Anyway, on this occasion, I had been asked by The View to come on, and I wanted to do the show. I really wanted to do it because I had my eye on stuff that was more entertainment-driven. I wanted to be more of a personality. I didn't want to be on air talking about terrorism for three hours a day. So I asked him, I said, look, it'll be good for the network. You know, it'll expose people to conservative ways of thinking. You know, Fox News will get exposure. Give me a waiver just to do this one show, just this one show. Like, that's all I'm asking. He picked up the phone. He called, and he said, look, it'll be good for us. He called, I think, Diane Brandy at the time, who was doing a lot of legal stuff for Foxes, and said, just give her an out to do it a few times a month. Um, and, you know, and I heard her. She said something. I don't know what it was. And he said, it's never going to happen. And I think it was meaning I wasn't going to get hired. And I said, whatever. He needs to think to get me. So he he signed off on it. And very quickly after that, I started appearing a lot and wound up getting this job. I wouldn't have been able to to do those appearances, though, to get this job if it hadn't been for him signing off on that. So I feel super grateful. And then I, you know, I got offered the job with The View. And I really, I had always watched, had this show in my mind. I remember even last year or two years ago saying, I could do that show. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to mix a little bit of politics with entertainment. I just want to have a conversation so there was really no question for me once I got the job offer that that was where I wanted to be. Um, and I left and then Fox News kind of blew up like with all this craziness. And everyone, Are you happy that you're not there watching all of this? I am happy. Um, it was the right time for me to move on from news. I felt like I just wasn't supposed to be there anymore. Like I, I needed it. It served a great purpose. There are great people there. I got tons of exposure and I got to sort of hone my craft. And but it was time to, to sort of go to the next chapter. And this was what that chapter was. But when I looked back and I saw what was going on, I said, wow, that's a mess. What's going on over there? And um, I, I don't know how I would have fit into that world right now. And I looking back, you know, they're they're there were just a lot of things that you look at differently now that you're sort of out and you look back and you say, oh, wow, that kind of, you know, I guess that did kind of bug me or I guess I but it was um, it was time. So I'm I'm really glad that and now it, it, it comes up on our show and we have to talk about about what's going on there. We've talked about Roger and we've talked about some of the firings and sexual harassment suits. And I have friends there like my friend Julie, who's suing them and on air now over there, but suing them. And it is a little awkward sometimes to have those conversations. But I try to just tell the truth, like which is what my experience was and, and how I feel about, you know, how they need to clean their clean their act up if they want people to to not be, tur- you know, turned off. So Sarah, when you left the Today Show, you yeah. first came to ABC pre-going to The View. What yes. was the decision that, that motivated you to come to ABC and leave NBC in the first place? Um, well, first of all, ABC had approached me um, to talk about opportunities, very vague. like, And so my husband used to say, you know, you had a meeting. What does it mean? It was like nothing. <laughs> I say this all the time about our business. Like my parents will say, oh, we saw you on this show or grandparents. Oh, we saw you doing this. What does it mean? Nothing. Nothing. It, 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 it means it means it you means had a cup of coffee. Fill, and yeah, exactly. You, you talked a little, but you don't really know what they said and what. And I remember up until the contract, Max would say, "Do you think they're going to, you know, offer you anything?" I was like, "There's no indication of that." He's like, "Well, you're having a lot of meetings." I was like, "Yeah, and we're not really covering a lot. Like, it's it's kind of like, <laughs> what do you want to be doing? Yada yada. This is the show I'm at. Cool." 
So how's that scone? You know, it was like <laughs> so <laughs> random. But toward, what made me finally jump is I went to my bosses at NBC and I had said, people are talking to me and I'm, I'm, I, I may be getting an offer from ABC. And and they were really what I appreciate is they were really honest. They, they're some of my biggest cheerleaders still at NBC. But they said they said, we love what you do for us now. We love that you came, you grew up here, this is what you do, but this is what we see you doing. And I had always wanted to do, I love field work and I loved my tape spots and I had so much fun, but I also loved more hosting, not anchoring. I, I wasn't I wasn't fooling myself into wanting to be an anchor, but I loved the later parts of the morning show where you got to be more of a morning host. You did topics and lifestyle things and and conversations could get a little heavier, but they tended to be lighter and practical and I loved that. And they said, you know, that's great. We we just don't see you as a host. Like, we don't think that's your strong suit. And in a way, in this business, you don't know either. You just kind of have to believe because I hadn't had chance. I'd only filled in a few times. And when you fill in, it's nerves. It's right. You have no regularity. You don't get and- the rhythm down. It's very no. different than doing something on a regular basis. So you're still answering kind of in what you think. And, you know, people say, believe in yourself. But I was also realistic. I thought, I think think this is what I want to be doing. I think I could be good at this, but I, I don't know. And so then you start to listen to their voices. Maybe this is it. You know, maybe this is it. And I'd stay at home where was where I grew up and I could always do the same thing. And then I remember thinking in my head how much that haunting time when I first started taking risk was when I thought, I'm going to look back and say I never tried. And that haunted me most of all. So I thought, this has been a great run. Maybe I'm going to try and I'm not going to be it. Maybe it's not going to work, but I think I'll sleep better knowing I left and tried and know the answer than never knowing when someone says this is it for you. We love you. We love you. But this is it. And I hadn't run into that in my life. And so that was super scary. And I thought this is it. And I just kind of took it for what the base level was. This was an awesome run. I already kind of feel like I won a lottery and this was a good run. You know, but now I'm going to go try this. And I struggled like I struggled for a long time here and didn't know this was much more newsy than I had had with Kathy Lee and Hoda. So I was now in a news division where they expected me to sit next to amazing journalists and and not tell any heavy lip like it wasn't heavy news or hard news. But it was still a credibility that if I can't believe it in my own, how are you going to sell it? It was a new muscle. It was a very new muscle. And when it felt like calculus constantly which was just like, you know, you come home and you're exhausted. It was all new skills, all new learning. all And even when you got done, you didn't feel like you did that well. So you worked your buns off for maybe a C. Right. And you're like, this sucks. And that takes a toll. So over time, I thought maybe this was the wrong move, but I still would make the same decision because I needed to know. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel pretty lucky that I got here. But it was a lot of floundering for a long time. And then as I settled into a brand with Pop News, and then I was like, okay, this is fun. I, I got this. I got this. And so I started to own it more. And I think when I got the opportunity to first uh, fill in on The View, it was it was a dream because I'd always envisioned, I had someone ask me once, uh, what job is on TV right now that you love? And my primo answer was Kelly and Michael. At the time, it was Regis and Kelly. And I said, a show like that, or The View, or Kathy Lee and Hoda, where you're mixing these ideas of conversation, your own opinion, but really getting to have some say in what's important, what people are talking about, reacting. And I want to learn – I'm not good at cooking, but I love the idea of a cooking segment and then talking about 
maybe what's going on with healthcare or something that matters. You know, I, that's more me as a person. It's a full person. It's a full person because people only know one brand or one side of you. But the re- reality is we're all much more layered than that. So the idea of getting a, a platform where that could work. So I remember filling in the first time. And again, I took it for base level. I thought, I now can say I sat at that view table one time. That's it. I'm done. That was amazing. You know, <laughs> so I just was um, a week or two ago. I got a little teary. I was walking off the set and I looked at Joy. And of all people at that table, it's so funny. I picked Joy because she she is self, self-described not a warm person. She She's not going to like coddle you. But I looked at her. I go, oh, my God, Joy. And she goes, what's wrong? Because like the show had just ended. I said, I just had one of those moments. And she's like, what are you talking about? I go, I looked up and I heard the music and I looked at the set and I was like, oh, my God, that's Joy Behar. And like <laughs> it hit me. It hits me over and over again that I'm at the view. And, and it, it gets me really emotional when I think about it. But Joy was looking at me. She's like. Yeah, that's it. That's your story. I was like, Joy, I'm really having feelings right now. Do you want to talk? Like, no. So, you know, the View Instagram, it does a lot of fun stuff with you guys behind the scenes. I always pay attention to what you're wearing because you guys are always impeccably dressed. And it looks like you have a lot of fun backstage. I think it's a fascinating thing to and because I've always been a reporter on the other side and we never walk out to clapping. But just the energy that that must bring to literally walk out to an audience that is clapping for you every single day. haven't even said anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I walk out first sometimes. So is that is that a thing like who walks out? It's the fear of the guy with the the. Okay, listen. This is a real thing. This is a real. I mean, this is like I'm. This is what nightmares are made of. There's a. What's the camera? The guy that moves with it strapped. You know, like the. You know, the two brothers at GMA. They. They have the the big thing on their body. Oh yeah, yeah. The steady cam. Steady cam. Yes. Basically, for people at home, it's a dude with a camera strapped to him, and he walks straight at you. Jed so has really I, strong feelings. About first this. of all, I hate wearing high heels. I'm, I'm really a big tomboy in real life. Like the way I'm dressed right now, this is as good as it gets. Maybe some ripped jeans thrown in if I'm dressing up. But I on the show, I have cute outfits. You know, I have little skirts, little they heels. Dress so, us, so they dress us. So I wear. I have these heels on, and I have. I'm the first to walk out and there's this guy with the steady cam as really nice I'm walking guy. toward great guy but he really aggressive with his camera stuff. as I'm walking toward him he's walking toward me and I have to dip out of the way and it's like it's like will I survive will I get to the table every day father, there were so many days where Jen oh turns around gosh. and I'm right behind her and right before she walks around the corner she goes I swear so <laughs> one of these days <laughs> I'm these going days. down and it's I'm like going really? down. I feel like it's going to be like a slip and slide I'm going to get out there and just going to be like right to the audience you know sometimes so. you see Jed double step though when I watch back, now I always yeah. watch. I see her right before she goes out and makes those faces. Like I swear, one of the and she's like all worked up about it. I wanted to see how it looks, so a couple times I watched the entrance, and you sometimes see her double step real quickly because she always feels she's going to be. I hit always by the feel camera. I'm going to be hit by the camera, and no matter who. And you know, you just you complain to everybody, and they're like, "It's a great shot." I'm like, "Well, how's it going to look if I'm shot. on the floor? Is it still going to be a great shot?" When you were it's going to be a viral shot. When you're oh. And a few months ago, I had this vertigo out of nowhere. I don't know where it came. One from. One day of vertigo. I had no. It was a couple days. It was like days. I was like, "Why am I dizzy?" And I was out there, and basically, I'm spinning already. And she's really upset about the camera. She's like, "Now I'm dizzy, and that guy's coming at me with the camera." I was like, "This is just bad. This is all going to be bad." But I still, (laughs) it is. It's true. Like I have those moments that Sarah has sometimes, where I, I was a huge Whoopi fan before the show. Like. I mean, I watch Ghost. I know all her lines from Ghost. Like I, Odame Brown, Odame Brown, and I'm sitting at the table. And sometimes, because you know, we we go head to head on political issues a lot. 
sometimes I'll be having a debate with her and like we're, we're sort of, you know, arguing, not really arguing, but we're getting into it. And then I'll look and I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm arguing with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, my God, what's <laughs> happening? And I look around the table and I'm like, where am I? Is this like a dream? And this is like a dream sequence that I'm in. It's totally surreal. And that same thing happens sometimes when I walk out and everyone's applauding. I'm like, who are they clapping for? They're clapping. Oh, my God, Whoopi Goldberg's here. And then I'm like, oh, wait, she's on our show. Oh, wait, I'm here. This is my job. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so disoriented for a second. Nice to know you're going through that, too. We sit on the end next to each other. Well, it's such a long running show. So I think we all sat at home watching that. I was a huge Meredith Vieira fan. So I think for years watching the show, it's just it's surreal. It is it's, it's surreal. A, it's an amazing. <laughs> We're like, what are what are we what are we doing here? Yeah. Every now and then, one of these we things doesn't belong. And I think <laughs> two it's of me. them. Actually, it's two of, two of these things. <laughs> Have there when the conversation gets tense? Mm-hmm. Has there been a moment that you've had on the show where you'd like to take it back? No. Do differently. No. No. How do you when when things are getting tense? What's going through your head? Are you like I need to get in this conversation, or I want to stay away from this conversation? Uh, it depends because there there was a couple weeks ago where we were talking about Afghanistan and then Syria the airstrikes, the, yeah. the airstrikes, and then North Korea all at the same time. And I remember I was kind of quiet in the conversation, and I kept thinking the it was so heavy that I was I was consuming it more as someone sitting at home watching the news. So as I was hearing everyone talk about it. even one of my bosses said, you didn't really talk. You didn't really get in there. And I said, I'm just sitting there and it's overwhelming what we're talking about and the complications of, and I I always find Jed fascinating because her politics line up more with the the very people in my life, my husband, my parents, and Jed's so clear and concise when she speaks. As anyone knows, she's super smart, but she also makes sense of it for so many people. So I find Jed's explanation the most cogent on of anyone I watch. And so when I watch her, I'm always like, oh, that's a great point. Every time she watches, though, I find that what she's saying, especially that day, was so heavy. You were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we had to do something. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know. Like, we're talking about diplomacy mm-hmm. and this. And I was starting to feel that kind of feeling you feel when people say, you want to be in news? I'm like, never. I was like, not news. I don't want to be at a, an attack or a you know, 9-11. I don't want to be there. I was starting to get that fearful feeling of we're talking about things that are literally affecting us every day. People are dying. And I don't know what – I don't know – what's right here i don't know what the right thing to do is so i can't even pretend to join this conversation Mm -hmm. so there are times when it gets that big that you're like i don't have an answer for this like i don't even yeah i think that's a valuable opinion in itself to be honest because in those moments that's where i kind of want to jump in a lot because i'm I'm, i come from opinion in news so like when i when it gets to stuff like that i mean i get heated on national security like i want a healthcare debate i want especially when we have the liberal politicians on i keep telling the producers i'm like like let me i'm like let me go one-on-one please i want just me and elizabeth warren it'll be the best segment ever like and they're like no it's not your show you're part of an ensemble i'm like i know but just this one moment do you have a question you want to ask she goes no i'm i want to answer the questions i know about i know what's happening you know I get like that, but I do think that, you know, it's a nice, you know, what Sarah just said is a really, is a great moment because I think when these heavy issues hit, not everyone comes from a news background and not everyone has their opinion solidified on this. And there are people at home that are saying, I don't know. And they want that reflected too. They want someone who's absorbing that information and kind of feeling a little overwhelmed about it because that's their experience. So I feel like it's interesting. At the table, we have so many different personalities right now coming from, and we really do. It's called The View. And right now you can tune in and see a different opinion about almost everything every day. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, but 
I think those heated moments are really good for the show because people at home right now are having those heated debates at their kitchen table, at their dining room table. And there's there's one person at that table that feels represented by every one of us in that moment. So and it's interesting. It's been interesting for me to see Sarah kind of evolve because she wasn't very political initially when I met her. And now through the commercial breaks, she'll ask me, well, well, you know, how do you feel about this? And what do you think would happen if this happened? And it's she's genuinely like just grown that part of her because she's always been amazing at entertainment. She's funny. Like she's a lot of things that she does a lot of things really well that I, I can't even imagine. do. I can't do them. Like I don't know how she she's lovable. Like you see her on air and you just want to be her best friend. Like I feel like everyone at home is like that. If I could take one person out for drinks, it's definitely not me. It's definitely Sarah. <laughs> well, because Jed doesn't so, drink. I was going to say. <laughs> no, kind of a lame date for she's a drink. Love, like I'm pretty sure my mom is going to just leave everything to Sarah in the will I think I'm going to be I don't know but um but yeah it's been it's been interesting to watch her and and we're very different but we sit next to each other and come at the conversation from very different angles and a lot of times I'll get feedback that says like you guys are a great team because you're different and you're expressing you know things from a different way about these really serious topics and I like it I like the different I like if you were really serious and jumping in into it and I was it would be repetitive but it's nice that we're different about it we have a different approach I know we're running out of time, so I have to just ask you the final question, which I ask everybody. Worst advice you have received along the way? Worst advice. Worst advice. Um, oh, okay. My, the worst advice I got was be a team player all the time. Now, being a team player is great, but what that came to mean is, don't, in, in where I came from before this, was don't overassert yourself. Just do whatever you're asked to do. Don't necessarily ask for money for the job. You know, just do a whole bunch of free appearances and eventually you'll get paid. Get paid. And what I learned is it's great to be a team player, but you also have to protect yourself and you can't get walked all over. And if you want something, you have to be able to be a go-getter. And you have to at some point, you have to be able to say, I've worked really hard and I've done the free TV and I have like... I've worked really hard to get here, but now I deserve this. And you have to demand respect at some point. And people will say, oh, you know, you you have to to sort of give more. And it comes a point, like I always say, the CEO sometimes gets to be CEO because they were the receptionist and they worked their butt off and they worked hard hours and they were underpaid and then they get there. And then maybe the next job they get, they want to be able to say – they don't start back at the bottom again. They, mm-hmm. they, they want to say, I climbed those ladders and it was hard, but I climbed them and I want some credit for that. And now I deserve this. So being able to say the words, I deserve X, Y, or Z or whatever it is, whether it's money, whether it's a job title, whether it's whatever it is, as a female in this industry, I think – you got to get there. And I'm here now. And that means that sometimes I say no to stuff or sometimes I demand, you know, better treatment or acknowledgement or and, and that's too bad if people don't like it. And you have to be able to to take the criticism that comes with that. Totally agree with you. And one thing I really respect about the message is all the hard work that leads mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. You didn't come out of the gate and say, give me the whole pie. But no. at a certain point, you have earned that. That's right. And you need to be able to say, even if it makes other people uncomfortable, even if it makes you uncomfortable, right. I've earned this now. That's it's right. It's time. Yeah. I would say the worst thing was when people say, you've got to say yes to everything, put your head down and do everything. And the reason I say that is there's a way to show work ethic and devotion and hit it out of the park on smaller tasks without diluting a brand. And what I mean by that is in this business, I think owning who you are, what you are, and what you want, and it, besides money, I learned I, – I, 
became aware at some point that I wanted a certain quality of life, that I was working so hard and missing holidays and missing. I've had conversations with you about this, Rebecca, where you're missing the moments that I thought you had a job to pay for so you could go to your family for Christmas and you could see things. There was a point where I realized if I can't, if, if, someone like me is not going to survive in the, this business, then it wasn't the right place for me because I had to draw lines and say no and say it's not about you're defining it that if I if I really hear and I really want it, I'll do all these things. But the bottom line is somewhere I grew up and I realized that the whole point of the job was to afford me the life moments. And if you're saying I can't have both, then I was blinded to what I was doing here. So by putting my foot down and saying, I'll work however long you want, but I know my lane and I know what I can do. I think that was the most important thing because everyone made it sound like you had to do everything and, you know, just keep working. And I don't think they're exclusive. I think you can be the, you know, the hardest worker in the room, but know where your work ends and where someone else's begins or when it's not the right task for you. And I think that was something I had to evolve to realize no can be empowering it's not it doesn't mean you're you're not working hard enough. It doesn't mean that you're not a team player. It means you're protecting yourself when no one else will. It takes such a long time to learn that. Or mm-hmm. at least for me, it took such uh, a long time yeah. for oh, me yeah. to learn the value of no. Yeah. But it is an incredible word when you figure out the right ways to use it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um I love this conversation. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as so I fun. did. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jed and Sarah. (laughs) Jed. (laughs) Slash AJ. There you go. (laughs) And as promised, we're starting that new tradition here. Our first ever No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week comes from Bellingham, Washington. Anne-Marie Fiola is a former correctional officer who turned her love of crafting into a thriving business. In 1998, at 20 years old, she took $15,000 and founded Brambleberry Soap Making Supplies out of her living room. She's since grown the company into a multi-million dollar enterprise with 88 full-time employees and will release her third book this June. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for being part of the No Limits community, and congratulations. Thanks for sharing your story with us, too. I got so excited reading over all of your submissions, and I really can't tell you how touched I was by your messages. So remember, you can send me your nominations right here at No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Boncardo, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And coming up on the next episode of No Limits... Being able to do what I've done, bar none, is the most sublime experience, human experience I, I could imagine. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.